Victor and Juliana are such a tremendous blessing, and they're continuing their studies at Southeastern, and um, if you follow them on Facebook, you just won't, honestly won't believe all the things that Victor and Juliana are doing. They're, they're literally everywhere all the time, and uh, God is using them in tremendous ways. Um, and so we are very, very blessed to support them as, as a church. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to the book of Matthew. We're going to continue in the series, Echoes from the Cross. And let's be honest this morning. It's time to, to tell the truth. How many of you all are feeling a little sluggish this morning? Whew. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I'm feeling very sluggish this morning. And um, here's, here's what I want us to do. I, I want us to pray and ask God to kind of revive us and uh, help us to focus our attention and um, help me to focus as well, um, because what we're going to talk about today is incredibly, incredibly insightful and important, and and heavy in the in what we are uh, what we're going to be talking about. So Matthew twenty seven, beginning in verse forty five. But let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started. Lord, we come today um, in our human frailty. Many of us are tired and sluggish, and we find ourselves just kind of thrown off. We're routine people, and, and any time that something is kind of off, then we feel it. And, and so I just pray, God, that in this moment that you would allow us supernaturally to be able to, to focus and take in your word, that your Holy Spirit would come and empower, and that we would be made aware of your manifest presence among us that you would soften our hearts and that you would change our hearts. Give us eyes to, to see the goodness of this word and the gospel. Give us ears to hear, Lord, for the people that are struggling this morning for any number of reasons. I pray, God, that you will encourage them through this. For the person that is stuck in sin, Lord, I pray that they will be uplifted by the price that you have paid. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Matthew 27 beginning in verse 45, and when you get there, say word. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. Have you ever been at a point in your life and reading this text where, um, whether with a, a, just another person that you felt betrayed or have, have let you down in regards to what you expected of them, or have you ever felt this with, with God, where, where God, you, you feel like, you know, I'm doing the things that you're wanting me to do, I'm on the path that you've desired for me to be on, and... And, and then just difficulty comes in your way and great angst and pain. Maybe if you've been at the point where you've cried out to God, why? Like, why me? Now, I know on a, a rainy Sunday that's like spring break for some students and, um, and, the, and the, when the time changes is a difficult time for us to talk about something so heavy, but it is really, really important, I think, that, that we dive into this. There have been times in my life that, that I've wondered, why, God? 
that, you know, you, I've been honest with you guys before, but there have been times that I've struggled with, with anxiety, like crippling anxiety. And I'm like, why? Like, why are you not taking this away from me? Like, why, why is this something that you've chosen to allow me to go through? I remember when I was 13, that was one of my greatest questions as I watched my dad pass away is, God, why, why me? Like, wh what's the deal with all of this? There's, if you live long enough, there's going to be a time in your life when you feel abandoned, when you feel uncared for, or you feel unseen by the God of the universe. The God that David says in the book of Psalms that if, if I go here, then you'll be there. If I even go to Sheol, then you'll find me there. There's no escaping your presence, but why do you feel so absent? You've probably been there before, haven't you? If you live long enough, you're going to be there at some point. And as we look again at the cross of Jesus, the central point in all of human history we're going to find something very unique. We find Jesus there with us, crying the very same cry that we do. And through looking at Jesus' cry, I think we find great hope and we find great empathy. History and our eternity pivots on these moments at the cross as Jesus is crucified. Yes, he's crucified at the hands of men. We see that there are physical men there that are nailing him to the cross. There are people there that have scourged him. There are people there that are mocking him. So yes, his death was at the hands of men. There were Roman soldiers there. There were religious leaders there. But what we can never, ever escape from, and we always have to be reminded of, is yes, the death of Jesus was at the hands of men, but it was for the purposes of God. And the same thing is included in our life, is that when we look at Jesus' suffering, we're going to see four different things that Jesus, Jesus models for us or shows us the very purposes of God in these difficulties. And so here's the main truth that we see in verses 40, 45 through 47, as we look at Jesus' fourth cry. Things are beginning to have a pivot point as things kind of ramp up. And it describes this in the imagery. Let's look again at it. Now from the sixth hour, this was noon, there was darkness over all of the land until the ninth hour. So and from noon until 3 p.m., there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried this cry, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What do we learn from this text? This is the main truth that I, I want us to see in looking at what primary, primarily the purposes of God was in, in having Jesus there. The first thing is that Jesus faithfully died in our place. He faithfully died for our example, and he faithfully died for our deliverance. He faithfully died for uh, our, died in our place for our example, and we're going to look at a couple of moments in our life where we can look to Jesus' cry on the cross as something that, as a template of sorts of how we relate to God in the midst of great suffering, in the midst of great uncertainty, and then for our deliverance, for some sort of victory. And the first way that we see that Jesus died 
in our place is that Jesus' Jesus's death was a payment. He paid the price for our sin. He paid the price for our sin. Let's look back at verse 45. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Something has progressed since last week, and Jesus cried out. He's cried out three things, right? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Today you will be with me in paradise. And then last week, he cares for his mother, and he unites the spiritual unit by calling John out of the sin that he had just committed of abandonment and called him up to the ministry of caring for his mother. Jesus does that. He uses our difficulties. He uses things in our lives that we feel like are only the rejected points, the things we don't want to talk about. And he uses them as places and sources of ministry, of comfort for others. And today, things begin to shift. At the 12th hour, or excuse me, at the, at the 6th hour, which is noon, the sun is at its highest peak, but yet Jesus would die in darkness. It's amazing to me. Jesus endured suffering from 9 a.m. until 12 p.m., and then at 12 p.m., things begin to change. The agony intensified to a, to a level never known before by the Son of God. And when the sixth hour had come, again, it was high noon. When the sun was at its peak, miraculously darkness begins to descend over the entire land. Make no mistake, this was a miracle of God showing something to them and showing something to us. In fact, it was prophesied in Amos chapter 8, beginning in verses 9 and 10. And on that day, meaning the day that Jesus was crucified, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon. And darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. And I will make it the morning for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. This darkness lasted for three straight hours. I can't imagine that because the eclipse in 2017 only lasted for like 15 minutes. And that was weird enough. But from noon until 3 p.m., darkness just overtook the land. The skies were expressing the agony and pain of Jesus and expressing the deep, disgusting nature of sin, the price that, that must be paid. At this point in time, theologically speaking, Jesus was beginning and taking and, and bearing the hell of punishment for all sins, past, present, and future, from Adam and Eve forward to us. This is what our Savior was enduring. Now, in the Old Testament, we see God's presence being depicted as sources of light oftentimes, right? We see it in a pillar of fire at times as this bright, shining light. Even angelic beings, when we get into the New Testament, kind of give off this great light as a heavenly host singing. But here we find the presence of God being shown through this judgment. 
the manifestation of God's presence here was shown in terms of this great darkness. As we see that hell is described as an eternal darkness, but God being omnipresent is everywhere. And so he was there that day. One pastor said it this way, the darkness at Calvary did not represent the absence of God, but his holy, terrifying presence. The amount of payment that was required for our sin, we can't take for granted. There's a quote that C.S. Lewis has that I find fascinating, and this is from Your Christianity. It's going to be on the screen. He says this, God is the only comfort. He's the only source of comfort that we have as humanity. But he is also the supreme terror, the thing we most need and the thing we most want to hide from. Why do we most want to hide from? Because I think innately we know that the accountability of God because of our sin is weighty. It's great. And we see that manifested here through this supreme darkness that overtakes the land. And so God is pouring out the, his wrath and this price that is to be paid that was meant for us, but Christ taking it in our place. This is uh, amazing in all honesty. I'm reminded of the fact, even as, as Christians today, sometimes we can, and, and I rely heavy on grace. I'm saved by it, and I will be sustained by it. But sometimes we can excuse sin. Make no mistake, where there is sin, there will be death. It's the very thing that Adam and Eve were, were kind of tempted and told that, no, 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 surely this, this will not, this will actually make you better. This will make you like God. Even though God had said, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And we convince ourselves of it, that our, our flesh, our selfishness, our, Satan convinces us, tells us that there will be no consequences for sin in our life. But we see here this outpouring of judgment that was never before seen on earth poured upon Jesus, our substitute. Thank God for his grace and for his love. This isn't to make us feel bad about our sin, but in fact, it's to, to bring us to a weightiness of it, but then it's also to transfer it into gratitude for what Jesus has done for us in our place, that Jesus took this so that you and I don't have to bear this judgment. That's such good news. So see the love of Jesus in his great sacrifice for us, that this three-hour period of darkness, but then also be reminded of the severity of sin that led to that necessity. We can't just play with sin in our lives. And so Jesus paid the price for our sin and in our place. The second thing that we see in verse 46 is that Jesus endured the fullness of God's separation and wrath. He endured the fullness of this separation and wrath that was meant for us. So there's two ways that Jesus died in our place. He paid the debt that we owed that we could not pay ourselves. But he also endured something that we were meant to endure, which is this eternal separation because of our sin and endured this wrath. 
moments, uh, just a few short hours prior, the, the morning before Jesus' death, what does he pray about this cup that was coming? He prays and asks, God, if there be any other way, but if there's not, then I will be faithful. Your will be done, not mine. This is the very moment that the cup of wrath is being taken upon him, and it is a bitter, bitter cup. Look at verse 46. And about the ninth hour, meaning 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Evidently, the, the amount of spiritual pain and agony had come to some type of crescendo after three hours of wave after wave of wrath being poured upon him. This is the cup Jesus knew that he would have to drink on our behalf. And anyone that is outside of Christ will have to drink at their judgment. But as Isaiah 53, 6 says, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, that Jesus took our place in this. And so at 3 p.m., the judgment began to end and the darkness began to lift. And so at that moment, it was Jesus decided to to lift up and, and cry again. Now, this is something that he could have just thought. There are many times in my life, maybe in yours, that if I would have just allowed things to remain a thought, I wouldn't have looked like a big old dummy or looked foolish or had to apologize, right? We're responsible for what we choose to say. Jesus could have just thought this and we would have never had it recorded, but he says something here that is incredibly important and he chooses to say it. Everything that Jesus said had great intent. And he chooses to cry out at this moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this idea of forsakenness or being forsook is one that, that we feel. We feel separation from one another. We feel that in our daily lives. There are people that we wish we had better relationships with that because of some reason or another that we just, we just can't, right? We feel this distance emotionally and physically, sometimes from family or from children that we wish was not there. Each of us at times feel this kind of forsakenness to, to God that it's like, God, where are you at? And so Jesus in this moment had bore the full wrath of God that was meant for mankind, past, present, and future. And for the first time, into eternity past, Jesus felt a separation that is actually common for us. We often feel separated from, from God, and Jesus actually feels this very same separation for the first time ever in this moment. And so he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The shame that you feel, the separation that, that is felt by us, the loneliness, the guilt, the shame, the anguish. Jesus in this moment was alone and completely separated from the Father so that you and I never have to be again. 
This is what it means that he died in our place. He took this so that we no longer have to. This is the very reason that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he became sin. He became a curse. Jesus was cursed so that we might have the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. What an exchange. That's what happened on the cross is that Jesus died in our place. And so if we confess him, if we confess him as as Lord and place our faith and trust in him, that we no longer have to live in this great fear of judgment because he has taken that judgment for us. We don't have to longer feel the great shame of sin because the power of it has been taken by Jesus. That's such good news. That means that there's hope. But it also means that we don't have to pick back up those sins that he's taken for us. And it means we have no reason to throw a pity party when we do sin. Right? We rest on his grace and we move forward. As Josh preached few months ago that we gaze at our sin, but or we glance at our sin, but we gaze at the cross of Jesus, which speaks a better word to us. Verse 46, as Jesus cries this, as he died alone, he also teaches and models something for us. The first part of the main idea is that he died in our place. That's because he paid the price for our sin and he endured the fullness of the wrath of God. But the second thing that I said is that he models for us this faithfulness that is something very, very important because Jesus is now able to empathize with us. And he cries this saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does Jesus Jesus model for us? Jesus models for us and faithfulness for us and empathizes with us when we do not receive immediate deliverance. How many of you have ever asked and prayed prayers that were not answered in the way that you desired or in the timeline that you desired? There's a family member that you so desired to come to faith and it just feels like there's nothing. It was out of a similar sense of abandonment that David writes the psalm, Psalm 22, in which Jesus takes this very word from. And it's Jesus quoting here something that he for the first time ever feels. And a sense of abandonment. This is the first time that I know of that Jesus refers to God the Father as something other than Father. And it's because he feels this distance between he and God that you and I often feel because of circumstances in our life. Something doesn't go as planned. There's hurt and brokenness in our life. There's pain. There's agony. There's sadness. There's grief. And it it feels like there's this chasm, this distance between us and God. And so how do we act and, and walk as followers of Jesus in the midst of that? Do we just suppress it? And we just go to our Sunday school classes and we're like, you know what? I'm doing all right. Brother, I'm more blessed than I should be. All right, you probably heard that before. 
And all the while on the inside, it's like, well, my son's got cancer and all of it. Like, and it's like, God, I, I, I want to rage against you. What, what does Jesus do here that allows us this freedom? Because Jesus is, is honest and he shows this faithfulness and trust in God by crying out to him. Jesus cries this, my God, my God, because he believes that there still is a relationship there, a relationship that David once felt as well, that felt this great separation, but believed in this God that, God, I don't know where you're at, but I desire your presence once again. And he feels the great agony of being separated from him. But here's what Jesus models for us in that. He's open and he's transparent, even using the words of David. And I'm going to show you why I believe he uses this very psalm in just a moment. But he uses this platform called lament. This template that lots of the Old Testament psalms and the book of Lamentations and and other places in the Bible... It's where they're really honest and raw with God about where they are. Did you know that you can be that with God? In fact, that he invites this, that the son, the perfect son of God, did it himself. So that you and I can feel free to go to God and be like, God, none of this makes sense. It feels like you've forsaken me, but you're still my God and I'm still going to trust you in this. I'm entrusting myself still to your plan and to your purposes. Even when it became clear that he would not be delivered from his death. Even when it becomes clear that God's not probably not going to answer it in the way that we desire, what do we do then? What do we do when we don't receive the immediate deliverance from the besetting sin that just holds us tight? What do we do when when the anxiety doesn't go away, that you can't just pray it away, that it's not about the measure of your faith. Our faith has to be stronger than, than if, you know, something doesn't go right. We're like, well, this is over. And it is because Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so Jesus understands this. And I think it's part of the reason that he brings and sends the comforter with us as one who empathizes for us. Because he gets it in a way that he never had before. What does faithfulness look like as a believer when in the midst of great suffering? It means honesty with God and it means humble lament. It says, God, this is not the way that that I, I would like to have seen this done. But I'm not the one with the universe. And so... I'm going to choose to trust you in this. This is a quote from William Barclay. In this terrible, grim, bleak moment, Jesus really and truly identified himself with human sin. Here we have the divine paradox. Jesus knew what it was to be a sinner, and this experience must have been doubly agonizing for Jesus because he had never known what it was to be separated from God by this barrier. This is why he can understand our situation so well. That's why we need never fear to go to him when sin cuts us off from God or any circumstances. 
feels like that because he has gone through it. He can help others who are going through it. There is no depth of human experience which Christ has not plumbed. That's really good news, isn't it? So Jesus didn't just die in our place on the cross, but he models for us faithfulness in the Christian life. And finally, by quoting Psalm 22, this is the carrot at the end of the stick. Jesus reveals that his suffering will be our salvation. Jesus reveals that his suffering will be our salvation. By quoting Psalm 22, what he's doing is he's putting a hyperlink basically in all of those Jewish minds that were there. It's like, hey, I've heard that before. That would be like us saying, ba da ba 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 and you say, I'm loving it. There we go, <laughs> right? Anything like that that's so common for us, it's like, oh, yeah, I know that. This would have been the same thing for them. It's like, wait, that sounds really familiar. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, let's, let me think through all the things that happen in Psalm 22. Now, there are many things that were prophetic about Psalm 22, including the fact that his garments would be torn and, and, and separated and given, and there would be scoffers come at him. But Psalm 22 doesn't end in defeat. Psalm 22 ends in victory. And that's what Jesus is claiming here on the cross also by quoting Psalm 22. Because Psalm 22 ends this way. I'm going to read just 27 and verse 31. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. It begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it ends with, God, you are the one who've claimed this victory. You are the one that I'm going to entrust in, and therefore you are the one that will give me this victory. Now that promise of victory is not in this life. And that's where the rub comes in. That's where the lament comes in. But it, he does promise us salvation. We are invited into God's presence for eternity through Jesus' death. So I'm reminded of the old hymn, Great Things He Has Done. God has done great things on our behalf, things we could have never done for ourselves. And indeed, as the book of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verse 2, that it was Jesus' joy to do this. It was his joy. I don't know how. But it was. And so, Lauren and I just got our house and we're moving in. That's kind of my joy because we bought it. You know? You guys have kids? That's your joy because you produced it. What, what Jesus is saying is, like, we're part of his joy because he has bought us because he loves us. So let us run to God in our difficulties, in the seasons of lament and grief. Be honest. Be reminded that being a faithful Christian isn't just being nice and being 
put together and having things perfectly. It's being willing to go to God when it feels like literally all hell is breaking loose. And so let us run to God to him, to, in our difficulties. Let us trust him even when things are tough. And let us be thankful for him paying the price in our place. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you for this morning and a chance to hear from you. And I, I pray, God, that you would challenge us, that you would bless us wherever it sits on our heart and whatever circumstances this hits us in. I don't know, but Holy Spirit, you do because you're God. And I, and I just pray that you will work and use um, everything that was said that was faithful to you. God, the person that for the first time may, I pray that they'll feel free to come to you and being honest. Or that they would, they would be able to grieve as Jesus, you grieved. Lord, for the person that's struggling and in a season that doesn't feel like it's ever going to end, I pray that you'll give them hope that the victory is coming, even if it's not in this life and the next. And so Jesus, let us lay aside our sin. Let us lay aside the things of this world that bring us back and hold us back so that we can run the race with you. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name I pray.